So let's open up to Romans chapter 5. We'll continue our study in the letter to the Romans. Let's go ahead and bow our hearts as well. Let's go before the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you for all of your blessings. Thank you for your presence. Thank you for the gift of salvation. We thank you for your grace. Thank you for your mercy. Lord, we thank you for our families. Thank you for our church family, our brothers and sisters in Christ. And Lord, we are so grateful that you allow us to serve you. And so those who are serving tonight, I pray that they'll serve in joy and with a heart of gratitude. And that you'll also protect everyone on this campus tonight. And Father, as we continue our worship, as we study your word, I pray that you'll open our understanding. I pray that you help us to have receptive hearts, not just to your word, but to the work of your spirit in and through us. Equip us, Father, for what you'll have us to do. I pray for the gift of teaching. Father, may your will be done and may you be glorified tonight as I decrease and you increase in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So just want to start tonight with a question. And the question I believe many of you will, will be able to relate to. Because the question is, have you ever dropped the ball on some type of responsibility you had? Have you ever dropped the ball on some type of responsibility you had? You know, one example that came up for me, as I believe it was last year, I think it was on a Wednesday, the day that I stay home and study for the night service. During that day, the, the water got turned off. And I realized that I forgot to pay the water bill. And so I had to hurry up, get on the phone, pay for it. And thank God I did that quickly because the guy who turned it off wasn't that far away. So within a few hours, it was turned back on. But it definitely... Um, was embarrassing because I forgot to do it. I didn't, I didn't want my wife to yell at me. I didn't want her to fuss at me. You know, what's up with that, right? We got children in the house, so, you know, crazy stuff. But this one man who was still not far away came and turned that water back on and saved my life. Praise God. And it's a nice lesson. We'll read about Another man, not named Darrell, who dropped the ball. But then, of course, there was another man who would fix that issue. And so the next question I want to pose out there to you tonight is how did that issue get resolved? How did it get fixed? And that's what the word of God is for, for us to dig in and And see how God fixed the issue of this one man, not named Darrell, who dropped the ball. And so in Romans 5, beginning at verse 6, it says, For when we were still without strength, in due time, which means at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely or rarely for a righteous man or an upright person will one die. 
Yet perhaps or maybe for a good man, a kind, honorable, friendly man, maybe someone would even dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love toward us. And that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So in those verses, we can see that God showed his unique divine love for mankind by sending Jesus to die for us. For us, meaning he died in our place. Which means that we should have been the ones who took the wrath of God upon us. And in these scriptures, we see how we are described. Humans, mankind, we are described as people who are without strength, ungodly, and sinners. In other words, we're people who are helpless, unable to save ourselves, unable to earn our own righteousness or pay our own ticket into heaven. We're people who did not fear God. No reverence for him, meaning that we didn't take God seriously, was not thinking about him. And people who fell short of God's holy and righteous standard, sinners. This describes us. And so there was nothing about us. If you pay attention to these words, that was lovable. Nothing was lovable about us. And so this was an unusual kind of love because another human would rarely or scarcely die for another human they would see righteous. And maybe even for a person that they would see kind and a so-called good person. But this God will die for people who are weak and ungodly and who are deemed sinners. This type of love is what many of you know, which is agape love. It's an unconditional type of love. It is unmerited. It's unearned. It's gracious. It is selfless. It is a sacrificial type of love. This is the type of love we see in verses 6 and 7. Now, with a love like this, that God has for sinners... You have to wonder as his children now, for those of us who've received Jesus, if he loved us that way, as sinners, as ungodly, is there any good thing that he will keep back from us? Some of us see things in the scriptures, oh, don't do this or that, and oh, God is trying to keep me from having fun, from enjoying life. But if it was really good for us, If he loves us that much, would he really keep it from us? Absolutely not. In verse 9, much more than having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath, from punishment through him, speaking of Christ. And so because Jesus' blood that was shed made it possible for us to be justified right now, To have a right standing with God the Father right now. What that means is that the wrath of God is no longer in our future. And if you don't want to take it from me, then then take it from Christ, the Son of God. In John 5.24 it says, 
Most assuredly, I say to you, he who hears my word and believes in him who sent me has everlasting life. It doesn't have a long list of things that we must do to receive everlasting life. It says he who hears my word, believes in him who sent me has everlasting life. And guess what? Speaking of the future shall not come into judgment but has, already has, passed from death to life. So if you repent it, you turn from your sin, put your faith in Christ, right now you have passed from death to life. And yes, right now you're still living in time. But one day, as believers, as his children, you will live in glory. You will live in eternity. And as Jesus said, you shall not come into judgment because right now we are justified justified never sinned for those of you who who are used to that terminology maybe you've heard that before so for some of you that's a that's a reminder but in verses 10 and 11 it says for if when we were enemies we were reconciled to god through the death of his son much more having been reconciled we shall be saved by his life so when we were enemies, we were restored to friendly relations to God. That means that that it was made possible. Because it doesn't automatically happen. We have a part to play in that, and that's receive Jesus by faith. But while we were enemies, that reconciliation was made possible. The price has been paid through the blood of Christ. But much more, as it says, once again, having been reconciled. Now, that's people who put their faith in Christ and receive that gift of reconciliation. Considered the friends of God now on friendly terms with him. Now that we're reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. And not only that in verse 11, but we also rejoice in God through whom? Through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received the reconciliation. And so when we were the enemies of God, when we separated ourselves from God because of sin and therefore at enmity with him in our minds and by our actions, Jesus once again made it possible for all humans to be saved, to be reconciled because he dealt with that barrier between God and man, which was sin. He dealt with it. But as a result of Jesus's life, for those of us who are experiencing and enjoying that reconciliation, that friendship and relationship with God right now, for those of us who enjoy it right now, there is more. There is more because of Jesus's life. There is more because Jesus lives. What do I mean by that? What I mean is that the salvation process will be completed for those of us who are reconciled with God right now. It'll be completed because we serve a living savior who is our our high priest. In Hebrews 7 verse 25, this is what it says. It says, therefore, he is also able to save to the uttermost. He is able to save completely those who come to God 
There, that, there's that word again, through. Always through Jesus, through him. Since he always lives to make intercession for them. As long as Jesus lives, he is our high priest. He represents us. There's no condemnation for us, which we'll talk about later on in the letter to the Romans. No condemnation for us. There is no accusation that will be successful against us because we're in Christ. He is our representative because of who he is and what he has accomplished. And so as long as he lives and intercedes for us and represents us, he's going to complete that salvation process. That's what it means. So what should be our response to this reconciliation and this guaranteed salvation as a result of that reconciliation? What should our response be? We should, again, rejoice. For last week, we talked about rejoicing in tribulations, in our trials, in our sufferings. And here in tonight's lesson, we see another reason to rejoice. Because we're reconciled. And because of that reconciliation that happened or made, was made possible by Jesus' death, Again, that salvation process will be completed. We're going to go into glory one day because of his life. He's interceding for us in verse 12. Therefore, just as through one man, sin entered the world. And death through sin. And thus death, that spiritual, physical, and eternal death. That spread to all men because all sinned, it says. But let's start with Adam. And I don't have slides for these, so if you want to turn to it, that would be great. I would advise that. Genesis 2. Going to go through a couple chapters and maybe three chapters. Not the whole chapters, of course. In Genesis, but beginning in Genesis chapter 2, uh, verses 15 through 17. It says, then the Lord God took the man, that's Adam, and put him in the Garden of Eden to tend or cultivate it and to keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man and gave him a commandment saying, of every tree of the garden you may freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. Physical, spiritual, eternal death. If a person who's spiritually dead dies in that state, now that's eternal death. Eternally separated from God. And so we see this commandment that the Lord God gave to Adam of everything else. All these other trees, they're yours. Enjoy, eat. But the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, just leave that one alone. That's it. That was the commandment. And then we turn to another chapter, the next one, Genesis 3, verse 6. Now we have Adam's wife, Eve, in the midst of a conversation with the devil who was in the form of a serpent. And he's attempting to persuade her to, to eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. This is called temptation. 
And so when the woman, when Eve saw that the tree was good for food, right? Remember in, in 1 John, we read about all that's in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life. And so the first thing we see here is what's in the world. What's, what is the enemy tempting her um, to, to do? What temptation or what is he appealing to? Again, the lust of the flesh right here. So she saw that it was good for food. Oh, man, it's going to be so good in my belly. And that it was pleasant to the eyes. That's the lust of the eyes that it talks about in First John in the New Testament. And so he's appealing here to the lust of the eyes, pleasant to the eyes. And then a tree desirable to make one wise. That's the pride of life. So we see here that Satan is is trying to draw her based on the lust of these various areas that first John talked about. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes and the pride of life. And of course, he is trying to pull us based on those lusts as well. For those of us who are still in this world, he's doing this to us as well. Speaking of Satan. And so she saw that it was a tree desirable to make one wise. And she took of its fruit and ate. And so the temptation itself is not the sin, but the fact that she, she, she took the bait. She acted on it. Now that's the sin. She ate the fruit. And then she gave it to her husband with her. And you saw in the previous chapter that God commanded him what not to do. Don't eat from that tree. And guess what he did? He ate. And also in the New Testament, we learned that as we see here that, yes, Eve was deceived. But we see here with Adam just flat out eating, flat out disobeying. He had full knowledge of what he was doing. Further down in Genesis 3, verses 16 through 19. Now, of course, God is dishing out the, the, the curse for the serpent and the woman and the man. Even the curse on the earth. After they sin. And so God begins with, he begins with the woman here. Where I'm going to pick up in verse 16 of Genesis 3. And to the woman he said, I will greatly multiply your sorrow and your conception. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be for your husband and he shall rule over you. Now, now this word desire and this statement here, this entire statement where it says your desire shall be for your husband. It implies a desire to control, which is a struggle with God's order because he created man first. He's the head of the home, the head of the marriage. And so he says what he implies here is that. You're going to desire to control your husband, struggle with God's order, and he shall rule over you. And this same type of thinking with the same word desire, it's used the same way in Genesis 4, 7, as God is talking to Cain. That word desire, remember I said it's, it implies a desire to control. Now watch God use it the same way with Cain. He tells Cain, if you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin lies at the door because he was upset that God did not accept his offering. And in the New Testament, in Hebrews 11, we find out why. Because Abel offered his in faith. 
It says that plainly and clearly in Hebrews 11 verse 4. And so he says, and if you do not do well, Cain, sin lies at the door. And it's desire, the same word, Hebrew word behind that word desire, used for Eve. And it's sin's desire is for you, but you shall rule over it. The same type of construction, sentence-wise, that he used for Eve. And so what is he saying here to Cain? Sin's desires to control you. That's what he's telling him. Sin's desire is to control you. And so we can use that as a model. And the same Hebrew word behind that desire, we can plug that in to, to Genesis 3 where he's talking to Eve. It's used the same way. Desire to control your husband. Struggle with God's order. He shall rule over you. Then to Adam, this is what he said, because you have heeded the voice of your wife and have eaten from the tree of which I commanded you. Saying, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground for your sake in toil and hard work. You shall eat of it all the days of your life. Now, remember, early on, he was tending the garden. He was cultivating it, but it wasn't hard work. It was enjoyable. He could do it in joy. But now he's going to have hard work. He's going to have to sweat for all that he will have to earn as far as food is concerned. And toil and hard work, you shall eat of it all the days of your life, both thorns and thistles, prickly, prickly plants. Try to say that five times, right? And prickly plants. Those are thistles. It shall bring forth for you and you shall eat the herb of the field in the sweat of your face. You shall eat bread till you return to the ground for out of it. You were taken for dust. You are and to dust. You shall return. Death because of sin, because of Adam disobeying. And then if you don't believe the fact that Adam died, turn to Genesis 5, 5. So all the days that Adam lived were 930 years. Two words, three words, and he died. So what God told him would happen, happened. And it passed down to his generations after him. Because if you read the entire chapter in Genesis 5, you'll see that it starts naming all these folks. And what do you see? And he died, except for Enoch. It said, for Enoch walked with the Lord and, and the Lord took him. And Hebrews, again, 11 tells us that he didn't die. So that was like a precursor to the rapture with Enoch. But everybody else, Genesis 5, it says, died. But what does that statement mean? Because we just read about Adam. What does it mean in verse 12, where it says that death spread to all men because all sin. You maybe think, I didn't see all here in Genesis as we studied it just now. You may, have be, you may be saying, well, I saw Eve and I saw Adam. But where does it say all? How did all sin? We all sin because we were in Adam. We were in Adam in seed form. Therefore, we participated with him in that sin. And this is what Bible scholars mean when they said he is the seminal head of the human race. Seminal means seed. We were in him in seed form. Just like Levi, uh, if you remember in the book of Genesis, Levi paid tithes to Melchizedek, the priest and king, right? 
How did Levi pay tithes when he wasn't living yet? That's because Abraham paid tithes to Melchizedek. And Levi was in Abraham's loins, the scriptures tell us. This is the same concept. We were in seed form participating with Adam in that sin. And so all sin, desperate to all of us. Not only is he the seminal head, but he is also the federal head, which means he is the representative of the human race. He makes the decision or made the decision on behalf of all mankind, similar to a coach who makes a call on behalf of an entire team. He makes a bad call. The whole team suffers. It's the same concept. He's the federal head as well. In verse 13, for until the law, sin was in the world. But sin is not imputed. It was in charge to a person's account when there is no law or there was no law to break. Nevertheless, even still, even before Moses, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even still with no law to break. Even over those who had not sinned according to the likeness of the transgression of Adam, who was a type of him who was to come. So although there was no clear line in the sand for people to overstep or really not overstep until the law was given to Moses, creation and humans were still cursed. Death, in other words, had its way. People died from Adam to Moses. And so that's that's proof that is proof that people were still facing the consequence of Adam's sin. Even though specific sins had not been imputed to them because there were no specific laws to break before God gave them the Moses. And this brings me to a quote that one Bible teacher said. Because some people may may think of all this that that we're talking about now and thinking about the story of Adam and Eve in the book of Genesis. Oh, that's myth. One Bible scholar says that people can say they think Adam is a myth or that the Bible is full of baloney. But they cannot deny the fact that people die. And guess what? Jesus talked about. The first man and woman being created. And Jesus is God. So Jesus didn't consider the story in Genesis with Adam and Eve myth. The fact that people die today, as this Bible teacher stated, the fact that people die today, again, proof that, yes, that's a real story. That's not myth. Death really passed to all mankind because all sinned in Adam. It's not a myth. In verse 15, but the free gift. Of forgiveness. It's not like the offense or the trespass. For if by one man's offense many died, much more the grace of God and the gift by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, abounded to many. You're going to notice that term a lot. One man. In verse 16, we're still in Romans 5. And the gift is not like that which came through the one who sinned. For the judgment which came from one offense or trespass resulted in condemnation. And that's the verdict of the judgment. 
But the free gift which came from or came after many offenses resulted in justification. In verse 17, for if by the one man's offense, death reigned or ruled through the one, much more those who receive abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness will reign in life, triumphing over sin and death. And those are my words that I've added through who you see the word through again, through Jesus Christ, the one Jesus Christ. Therefore, verse 18 in Romans five, as through one man's offense, through one man's trespass, sin, judgment came to all men, resulting in condemnation or punishment of death. Even so, through one man's capital M, speaking of Jesus, righteous act. The free gift came to all men, resulting in justification of life or justification that leads to life. That is for the believer. For as by one man's disobedience, many were made sinners, Adam. So also by one man's obedience, which is obedience, death on the cross, Philippians 2, many will be made righteous. So as we read these scriptures, we what we see is that or should see is that, yes, we, we are sinners. We, we are sinners by nature. And so we're not sinners by nature or sinners because we sin. But it's the other way around. We sin because we're sinners. We sin because of our sin nature that we receive from Adam. And therefore, you don't have to teach people how to sin. I don't care how old they are. You don't have to teach them how to sin. Teach them how to steal or lie. Teach them how to cheat on the test. There's no class to teach people how to cheat on the test. It's just, well, if there is, it's, <laughs> that's new. That's new to me. And I will stand corrected, but I don't think there is. But people sin because people have a sin nature. But for some of you may, who are believers tonight and may have some thoughts running through your head, one of those thoughts or questions may be, well, I'm a believer. I'm, why, why am I sinning? Why do I sin from time to time? That's because even as believers, you still have the sin nature. The sin nature is there. But you shouldn't be obeying, of course, the sin nature. So that's number one. Why do believers still sin? From time to time, that's, again, sin nature. Number two is because as people, as believers who have the Holy Spirit within us. And the scriptures tell us that we do, if we do not have the Holy Spirit within us, the Spirit of Christ within us, then we are not His. So every believer who put their faith in Christ, we have the Holy Spirit within us. And so the second reason why some or, or many believers sin is because of not surrendering to the Holy Spirit. Because Galatians 5.16 is very clear. It says, walk in the spirit and you shall not fulfill the lust or the desires of the flesh. If you're walking according to the Holy Spirit, you're surrendering to the Holy Spirit in your daily life. If he has the control in your life. And guess what? You're, you're not going to sin. You're not going to fulfill what, what the lust of your flesh wants to do. 
what that sin nature wants you to do. You're not going to fulfill it according to Galatians 5.16. Verses 20 and 21 in Romans 5. Moreover, the law entered. So now you have the law entering in. And, and so we are sinners, first of all, by association with Adam. But now the law entered in that the offense might abound. In other words, that the offense, that sin might increase or the, the true nature of sin will be revealed. And so the law is here to, to show you just how far you fall from the glory of God. But where sin abounded, the scripture tells us, or where sin increased, grace abounded much more. Abounded beyond measure. Grace overflowed. So that as sin reigned in death, even so grace might reign through righteousness leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. There it is again, through Jesus Christ. The New Living Translation for verse 21 says this. So just as sin ruled over all people and brought them to death. Now, God's wonderful grace rules instead, giving us what? A right standing with God and resulting in eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Now, based on verse 14 in tonight's lesson, as we begin to wrap up tonight's study, we see a special word there. Because it tells us that Adam is a type of Christ. T-Y-P-E. He is a type of Christ. And the word type is referring to a person or a thing prefiguring a future person or thing. So what it's saying by, by, by mentioning him as a type of Christ is that Adam is a shadowy picture of him. He is a blurry picture of the Christ, the Messiah, who was going to come. That's what it's saying. And so we see, just to keep uh, within step with the title of our lesson tonight, one man. So if I restate it, I could say that one man is a shadowy picture of another man. And so in what way was Adam like Jesus? Adam was like Jesus or a type of Christ in the sense that they were both federal heads of the human race. They were both representatives of the human race. And when they acted, they acted on behalf of others who are under them. Therefore, what you have here with them serving as federal heads. And this is how and this is the comparison, how they are alike. So what you have here is that both of their actions affected many. Both of their actions affected humans or mankind. But of course, we know that there's many differences between Adam and Jesus. And there's way more differences, praise God, between the two that we're going to go over. And we can see it in tonight's lesson. Well, for one, one man, that is Adam, is the federal head of the old creation. And the other man, one man, in other words, Jesus, is the federal head of the new creation. Because if there's any man who is in Christ, who he is a new creation, the old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. So one man, he's the leader of the old creation. Jesus is the leader, leader or federal head of the new creation. 
We also see that Adam sinned by eating from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. But we see Jesus. He paid the penalty for our sins on a tree. And then one man caused us to be deserving of wrath. The other man saved us from the wrath of God. One man caused us to be the enemies of God. The other man, Jesus Christ, caused us to be reconciled to God, to have friendly relationship, a friendly relationship with God. That one man actions called was disobedience and it was an offense to God. And Jesus's actions, the other man in our lesson tonight, his action was obedience and it was called an act of righteousness. We saw Adam's action bring condemnation. It brought guilt. It brought punishment where Jesus's actions brought forgiveness and justification. One man allowed death to rule over us and the other man allowed us to rule in life. And so we are ruling in life over sin, over death, over the enemy. One man, Adam, brought on the justice of God. That is us getting what we deserve. What we deserve is is death. What we deserve is eternal separation from God. But the other man, Jesus Christ, brought on the grace of God. What we, us getting what we do not deserve. God's unmerited favor. The first man, it tells us in 1 Corinthians 15 and 47. The first man was of the earth made of dust. And here is the real difference that makes this other man, the, the second Adam, the last Adam, so special. And why his work was so effective. Why he was able to do what, what he did and, and was so successful because first Corinthians 1547 says the second man that, that is man with the capital M speaking of Jesus. It says is the Lord from heaven. And so while Adam is the man created out of dust, dust and God breathed the, the breath of life within his nostrils and he became a living soul. Jesus was always the eternal God. He is the Lord from heaven. That's what makes the second man fully God, fully man so special. And you could also see the, the, the two natures within Christ, of course, in, in John chapter 1, where it talks about him being the word. And then it says that the, that the word was made flesh. The same idea here. And so in summary, it took one man, just one man, that Adam, that is Adam to mess things up. But it only, of course, took one man to fix the situation, to clean up the mess. Now, the thing is, we cannot choose the fact that we're connected to Adam and inherited this sin nature. We cannot choose that. That happens because we're we're born that way. As a matter of fact, in Psalm 51, 5, King David recognized that. He said, behold, I was brought forth. I was born in iniquity. I was born in sin and in sin, my mother conceived me. So we have no choice but to be connected to the first man, Adam. We have no choice but to be connected to him as our federal head. However, we can choose to be related to the one man who matters most. And that only happens through, guess what? The birth, the new birth. And so for the first man, we are born into his family and inherits his sin nature. And guess what? It's the same thing happens with the new man, 
Jesus Christ, we are born into his family. That's what Jesus meant when he told Nicodemus that, hey, you must be born again. If you're not born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. Nobody can see the kingdom of God without having a new birth. And so you only, you need to be born twice. In other words, you're born once into Adam's family. Now you need to be born again into my family and to be a part of the family of God so that you'll only die once. Born twice, die once. And what happened is, as we experience this new birth, when we repent and put our faith with Christ, in Christ, what will happen is we're going to trade in our old inheritance and we're going to trade it in and pick up the new inheritance that we have in Christ. And so everything we inherited from Adam, death and condemnation and guilt and wrath, guess what? When we put our faith in Christ, the, the one man that, who matters most, the Lord from heaven, then guess what? That, that inheritance of death and condemnation, all that, all that sin and, and so forth, eternal damnation, that, that's gone now. And we trade it for inheritance of the earth, inheritance of eternal life, inheritance of a kingdom. We get to rule and reign with him. We are blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. That's what we get to trade in when we trade in that old federal head, Adam, for the new federal head, Jesus Christ, the Lord from heaven and guess what eventually when we die when this spirit when this soul has departed from this body first corinthians 15 49 tells us as we have borne the image of the man of dust just like we do now we shall also bear the image of the heavenly man speaking of jesus christ that is the final stage of our salvation called glorification it does not mean that we'll become god like him it just means that we'll have a glorified body no more sin no more death of course there is no condemnation there is no sickness there is no more curse because we shall bear the image of the heavenly man one day so we talked about this man adam long enough and some of you are yeah get him we yeah, this this Adam guy, he's so bad. Look at what he did to us. We talked about his transgressions and the result of that. We talked about that so much in tonight's lesson that maybe the focus have gotten off of us. And so that's the last part of this lesson. The question is, what about us? Oh, yeah, we know what Adam did. We know the results of that. But look at us. Because, yes, we have inherited the, the sin nature. We've inherited Uh, Of course, the wrath of God because of that children of wrath by nature. But also we have committed personal sins. And so as it was one Adam who messed things up, guess what? It was one me. It was one you who messed things up. And so I can say that it was one me that messed things up for me. I can't just put it all on Adam. The sin nature, yes. Death is in the world, yes. But guess what? There were some personal sins that I had to confess and, and repent of as well. And, and I just wonder tonight, what sins, what personal transgressions are you dealing with that you think are too much for the grace of God as the worship team comes up? What sin, what transgressions have you committed in your past before Christ? Or maybe you sin after Christ. 
and you're dealing with it. And you think that no, God's grace couldn't possibly cover this. God couldn't possibly love me this much. He couldn't possibly deal with this. But the scriptures tells us that there is, there is no amount of sin that could be too much for the grace of God. Because in verse 20 in Romans 5, it says, Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound, but where sin abounded, grace abounded much more. It means super abounded. So there is no sin that can outrun the grace of God. God grace can cover any sin. When Jesus died, he died for all sin, past, present, and future sin. His grace covers it all. It is by God's grace That we receive that gift of forgiveness and that gift of righteousness or justification. It is by God's grace we enjoy those gifts. And therefore, it's no sin that God will not forgive. Now, it talks about the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. But that's an unbeliever. That's a person who does not receive the testimony of the Holy Spirit. Because it says that the Holy Spirit comes to testify of Christ. And if Christ is the way, the truth, and the life, the only way to salvation, if you disregard or or insult the Holy Spirit, there's no way you can be saved. If you pretty much call the Holy Spirit a liar, your testimony of Christ is a lie. He is not the only way. That's blaspheming the Holy Spirit. If a person dies in that state, there's no forgiveness for that. But other than that, there is no sin that that God's grace will not overflow and cover. So what sin is bothering you tonight? What sin is coming back to haunt you tonight? If that's the case and that's holding you back then we need to be reminded of what Jesus did. Be reminded of who he is. This is the Lord from heaven whose holy and precious blood completely paid the price, paid the penalty for our sin. And this gift of reconciliation, this gift of forgiveness and righteousness is by the race of the grace of God, which superabounds over any sin. We need to be reminded of that. As we go to the Lord in prayer and father, if there's anybody tonight who's not a believer and are not experiencing the grace that comes from you. That super abounding grace. They're not experiencing and enjoying a reconciled relationship with you. I pray, Father, that you would convict them of sin. That you would draw them to Jesus. That you remove the spiritual blinders. May they leave tonight changed. Remove from that kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. Remove from the headship of Adam to the headship of Jesus. And for those of us, Lord, who at times are haunted by past sins. Especially those you've forgiven us for already. We've already asked for forgiveness for them. 
Lord, help us to trust that you did what you said you were going to do. Your word says that you are faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Help us, Lord, to take you at your word. I pray, Father, that you would silence the whispers of the enemy. Tells us we're not good enough. Nobody loves you. That saved by grace through faith thing is too easy. Silence, Lord, the whispers of the enemy. And encourage my brothers and sisters who have received your grace through Jesus Christ. Oh, we love you, we thank you, and we praise you. Equip us, Lord, for your work this week. Protect my brothers and sisters on their way back home. Thank you, Lord, for their attentiveness. In Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Thank you all for coming out tonight. May God bless you. May God keep you. Use that privilege of prayer. Because you can come boldly. You can come boldly to the throne of grace. And obtain mercy. And find grace to help you in your time of need. Amen. I was going to say something else, but I need to sit down. God bless you. Yeah.